0: Good morning, Grace Orange. Morning. Privileged to open up God's Word together. Today we are in Acts chapter 11. Please find that in your Bibles, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Let me ask you a question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you stand up in a moment. I'm going to read God's Word, but I want to ask you a question first. Have you ever taken issue with someone or judged someone or criticized someone and later lived to regret it because you realize you didn't just hurt them, you were actually working against God. You were actually standing in God's way. And you realized you needed to repent. If that's you, you know what some first century Jewish Christians felt like when they did just that. Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18. They needed to repent of denying that God had granted Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. So stand with me if you're able. I'm going to read Acts 1, 1 through 18. In this passage of Scripture, we're going to see that God accepts all who come to Jesus by faith and wants us to do the same so that we would not hinder Christ's work. So let's read it, Acts 11, beginning at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of god so when peter went to jerusalem the circumcision party criticized him saying you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them but peter began and explained it to them in order i was in the city of joppa praying and in a trance i saw a vision something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners they came down to me And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how He said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then... God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. They glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in it. Move in our hearts. Enable our obedience by your grace. And all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. These verses show us that God accepts all who come to Christ by faith, and He wants us to do the same so that we don't hinder Christ's work. It tells us that God welcomes all who obey His call to repentance. The Gentiles, we saw in chapter 10, heard and believed the gospel message. And we saw that Peter learned a really important lesson that God does not show partiality that he welcomes and forgives everyone who believes and so should we we see three specific things happening in this passage first verses 1 through 3 people find out that non-jews are becoming followers of Jesus and they take issue with Peter they're really upset at Peter Second, verses 4 through 17, Peter patiently recounts what God did. He tells them the truth. And then third, in verse 18, faced with the truth, they stop opposing and they start praising God. That's what we see in this this passage of Scripture. So first, let's look at this scene where people are hearing about The Gentiles becoming Christians and then opposing Peter because of it. Verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 tells us that the apostles heard out that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Not just the apostles, though, but all the churches in the surrounding area in Judea. So the news of the conversion of Cornelius and his household had reached not just the church in Jerusalem, but the believers in the churches in all the surrounding areas. They had received the word of God. What does it mean to receive the word of God? It is code for they came to faith in Christ. They came to faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Peter had exhorted Cornelius' family and and household to believe in Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins. We see that in chapter 10. They had a very uh, willing spirit because they wanted to get baptized to identify with Christ. And that was described as accepting the word of God, receiving the word of God, the word that comes from God, the proclamation of the death, burial, resurrection, exaltation, and return of Christ. That's good news, right? That's the gospel. Bad news to some in the church, though. Some Christians in the church didn't like that news. They actually considered it bad news. So trouble is brewing in the church. Bad news travels fast, as we know. And once God opens Peter's eyes, there are still those that are somewhat blinded in the church to the fact that he is going to save people from all nations. And so they oppose Peter to his face. Verse 2 tells us that Peter goes to Jerusalem, and they're all over him. Uh, He is in hot water with the church, big trouble, and, and the circumcision party is criticizing him. And here's what they say. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. The idea was that that would signify fellowship among equals. And they're like, the Gentiles are not our equals in Christ. We're better. Now, the circumcision party, literally those of the circumcision, was a segment of the church that was pushing a non-gospel agenda. Now, you see this continue on in the church now this gets settled uh, this this scenario gets worked out but it actually snowballs and gets worse later on so you go over to acts 15 what you'll see is there had to be a big jerusalem council to figure out this problem and to set them straight acts 15:1 says the men from judea came down and were teaching the brothers Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. So they are going to people that have come to faith in Christ, and they're telling them, you're not a Christian yet. You still need to get circumcised. You still need to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. That's what's going on in the church. Back to chapter 11. These believing Jews are criticizing Peter for the very same thing he's fellowshipping with Christians and these Christian Jews say well the Gentiles are not worthy of the grace of God they're not worthy of salvation unless they go through the same stuff we did so they are arguing with Peter they are maligning him they are maintaining a firm opposition against him they are judging him they're taking issue with him continually This was not a one-off situation. This was going on again and again and again, and they were probably talking over him. You know how annoying that is when someone talks over you, and you're like, can I finish, you know? Verse 18 tells us they became silent. So they're probably arguing as Peter is explaining. But I want you to press pause for a moment. And I want to review how we even got here in the first place. How do we get to Acts chapter 11, where you've got Christian Jews taking issue with Gentile Christians and telling them, "You know, you need to become Jews first. How do we get there? Lest we judge them too quickly and too harshly, let's remember this: the news that they are that they are. Uh, giving out uh, the gospel news was very fresh. It was very new stuff to them. Now, if you've been with us in the book of Acts and this study, you'll know that I've said this a lot of times, but Acts is foundational. It is transitional. So there are things that happen in the book of Acts that don't always happen in the church today and aren't intended to be happening in the church today. But this is narrative history of the first 30 years of the early church it is a bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament and it describes Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes and when you take a narrative history like this you don't take it as a blueprint because you'd be mishandling scripture in that way you take it as a blueprint you're going to say I got to copy everything that happened in the local church now we're going to have people dropping dead for lying right Ananias and Sapphira anyone okay so, not a blueprint to follow. It is a historical record of what God did in and through them. Lots of principles that will be helpful for us, of course. Now, I have brought out five main themes in the book of Acts. First and foremost, the risen and returning Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Third, the all-sufficient Word of God. Fourth, God's chosen witnesses. And fifth, a golden thread running all the way through God's sovereign purposes. Those are the things we see in the book of Acts. But to see how we got to chapter 11, we've got to see where we've been. And I've developed a one-word summary of every chapter with a little explanation. So you might want to write these down, one word for every chapter. Okay, we'll begin in, verse, we'll begin in chapter 1. The word is calling. Calling. Jesus calls His witnesses who wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Calling. Chapter 2. Indwelling. Indwelling. The Spirit indwells believers, fills Peter with power to explain the Word and exalt Christ and expose sin and exhort to repentance and 3,000 people get saved. So calling, indwelling. Chapter 3. Healing. The healing at the beautiful gate jump starts. Intense persecution of the church. More people are saved. Calling and dwelling, healing. Chapter four, preaching. Preaching Jesus. No other name by which we are saved. Chapter five, purifying. The death of Ananias and Sapphira. God purifies his church. Won't allow sin to infect. Chapter six, stretching. There's a complaint. The Christian widows from Gentile lands are being neglected in the serving of food, and seven servants are chosen to meet the need. Chapter 7 Scattering. Stephen's murder sparks a move out to Samaria, and scattered church equals scattered gospel. More people saved. Chapter 8 Sending. Philip gives the gospel in Samaria. Philip gives the gospel to an Ethiopian in the desert. The mission of Christ is going to the ends of the known earth at that point. Chapter 9, choosing. God's chosen instrument, Saul, is saved. The church's worst persecutor becomes its best proclaimer. And then chapter 10, speaking. Speaking, God speaks to Gentile and Jew. He brings them together in Christ. It's monumental. Cornelius and his household are saved. And then we come to chapter 11. The word there is repenting. Repenting. Because Peter returns to Jerusalem. He's in hot water. He's in trouble. And guess what he's in trouble for? preaching the gospel to Gentiles and not making them become Jews first. Now, we have seen in the conversion of Cornelius and his household, Acts 10, that God wants to free us from the sin of exclusivity. He wants us to to really serve the gospel to anyone, anytime, anywhere, without reserve. But you know, God had to give Peter a vision three times. Peter didn't want to accept this vision that he got from God about the inclusion of the Gentiles into the church. So he objects three times. So it is not surprising that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem are taking issue with Peter. So let's not judge them too harshly. This is is fresh information for many of them. The Jerusalem believers hadn't gotten the vision that Peter had. But their big beef was, verse 3, you ate with them. It signified this intimate fellowship amongst equals, and the Jewish believers were outraged at such a blatant breach of Jewish custom. In their minds, it was difficult for them to conceive of Jesus being equally Lord of Gentiles too. What you've got here is hundreds of years of history, hundreds of years of tradition and obedience, gone in a moment, in an instant. Now they're supposed to buy this story. Now they're supposed to to change their way of thinking. They had an established order of thinking. You know what it's like when we have a way of thinking that we just think this is the way it's supposed to be for everyone. Now they're supposed to embrace a different way of thinking about how god saves people they had had a command from the lord to be circumcised and they figure everybody who comes to faith in christ needs to go through that needs to become a jew so here they are they're christians they're followers of christ and they are all worked up about this breach of jewish custom it throws them for a loop they are worked up they're fired up they're outraged You know what it's like when someone gets all fired up and outraged? Maybe you've been like that. They're acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah and Lord. But Lord of the Gentiles? In their minds, no way. Too much. Now, maybe far in the future, but not now. They knew Genesis 12.3. When God spoke to Abram and he said, In you. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. They knew that. They knew verses like Psalm 96, verse 1, that says, Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory, get this, among the nations. They knew that. Psalm six nine. worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness, tremble before him all the earth. They knew this. But they explained scriptures like this away, scriptures that clearly pointed to the nation's hearing of the glory of God and, and following God uh, and following the Messiah by saying, well, this is going to happen a long time from now. We're going to have our time with the Lord first, and then he'll bring them in later. God says, no. Now. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. If you're not a believer, by the way, and you hear the message of Jesus died for your sins, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose from the dead, let's not wait till Easter here. He's coming back, he's exalted, and he's returning you don't, you, don't, you don't want to say, you know, I'll make that, that, that decision later. No, today is the day of salvation. You've heard it. Respond. And God is telling the Christian Jews, no, actually, there's a monumental sea change that has already happened, and Gentiles are becoming Christians without having to become Jews first. Well, they couldn't take it. Here's what you've got to Remember? If you've been with us in this study of Acts, if you've read the book of Acts, what you know is there is not one word in the apostolic preaching that says anything about being circumcised. It's all about believing the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But isn't it hard to set old ways aside? You know how hard it is for us. Why'd they have to have a big council in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, and make a big deal about it and write it down and, and make it official and then give it to all the churches because this was a pervasive problem. Pervasive problem. We'll cover a bit more of the additional revelation we have in Scripture, Philippians 3.3. 3. Paul says, we, believers, Jew and Gentile alike, are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. None at all. Nothing you've done. Nothing you have accomplished is all because of the shed blood of Christ at the cross. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. He is speaking to Jew and Gentile alike. And he says, Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And you know what he's saying? You know what he's saying to us? you add anything in to the gospel message, you put in any stipulation on anyone as you're preaching the gospel to them that is beyond believing in Christ and Him crucified, you're warping the message. You're standing in God's way. You're actually opposing the gospel. The sign of the Old Testament covenant was circumcision. Jews all knew that. The sign of the New Testament covenant, the new covenant, is the repentance that leads to life. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's not baptism. It's not any outward thing you do. It's Christ cleansing your heart by faith. So don't add anything to it. So here... God clearly accepts Gentiles as Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, you should be praising God for this. That you didn't have to become a Jew to become a, to become a Christian. Now here's the second thing we see in this passage. Verses 4 through 17. And we're not going to go into this in, a, in a huge depth. And you know why? We've been through this twice already. Chapter 10 has this same, same story with a couple different details already twice this is now the third time we are hearing this this story of Cornelius and his conversion to Christ and what we see in these verses 4-17 to Peter is patiently recounting the glory of God in Christ and what he did how he sovereignly worked in the hearts of Cornelius and his household to bring them to faith in Christ Peter tells them the whole story behind the visions in his journey to Caesarea. He's telling them everything that happened. He's proving God's acceptance of the Gentiles by explaining that they had received the same gift of the Holy Spirit that the Jews had received upon believing in Christ. He's recounting this God-ordained meeting between he and Cornelius. He's he's, he's recounting the sovereign work of grace that God did in their hearts. He explains it all in order. Like, I was in Joppa. I was praying. I saw a vision. This big sheet comes down with all these animals in it. God starts speaking to me. And he says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he admits it. He says, and I told God no. He says, I said no, Lord. Don't ever do that, by the way. No, Lord, really? Really? And then he says, the voice came to me a second time and a third time. And God was signifying to Peter that he should accept Gentiles who came to faith in Christ as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And and we might sit here and go, well, why couldn't they get that? Well, I don't know. Why is it so hard for you and I to accept believers in Jesus who come from the same social, economic, and, and uh, nationality as us. And we still have trouble accepting fellow believers in Christ. Now you go beyond that. Different ethnicities, different socioeconomic stations in life, and wow, we, we know why they were so messed up, because we know what our hearts are like. Peter even tells him, this happened to me three times. He's like, I couldn't get it the first time. I didn't get it the second time. Uh, God had to tell me three times, people. And then he goes, you know that very moment? These guys from Caesarea arrive. And they tell me that this guy Cornelius has got a vision from God too. An angel came and talked to him. And I'm supposed to go and give him a message so that he could be saved. This is the third time we're hearing this story. It's wild, isn't it? And by the way, it's retold one after the other, twice in chapter 10, one in chapter 11. I, don't, I can't think of any other story in Scripture that is repeated three times in a row in such short time, in, in a short span. So this must be really, really important. Now, Saul's testimony is told, Saul Paul's testimony is told three times in the book of Acts. But this is compact. Chapter 10, 1st Luke narrates it. Chapter 10, next Cornelius retells it. And now chapter 11, Peter is recounting the story. And I think there's a couple reasons why we get this story three times in a row. First of all, this is such a momentous thing to have happen to the church. And Peter is behaving in a very unprecedented way. And it's going to be challenged by the Jerusalem Jews, by the believers who continue to live by the the purity stipulations that were given on Mount Sinai in the law by God. Second thing is the retelling shows us how important this is. This is really the Gentile Pentecost that is being told. And it's very, very important for the missionary work of the the early church. Uh, You can't fail to notice This is repeated three times, just like Paul's was, his story of conversion. Landmark events for the expansion of the gospel beyond Jerusalem as Jesus is preached now to the the, the known ends of the earth. And then Peter keeps keeps going. He goes, look, as I am talking, basically God just barges in. God basically saves them right then now think about it for a moment i'm preaching the word here and i know if you're a believer that the holy spirit is giving you ideas and thoughts that i'm not saying peter makes it really clear i didn't do this i didn't set this up to happen i didn't you know tug on their heartstrings i didn't use all sorts of you know man-made wisdom to get them to this point he's telling them god did this people the Holy Spirit fell on them just like the Holy Spirit fell on us at the beginning. So God is attesting the reality of the Gentile salvation with the same phenomena that occurred on the day of Pentecost. And then Peter says, you know what? I remembered what Jesus said. Look at verse 16. He's reminded by the Spirit of what the Holy Spirit alone does. He says, I remember the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water. And remember, that was a baptism unto repentance. Make way the ready you know, make, way, uh, make ready the way for the Lord. This is a baptism unto repentance. Uh, he's paving the way for the Messiah. He says, But John baptized with, with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and Peter says Jesus said that now you're probably wondering where did he say that was it in Matthew, Mark, Luke John was it in the synoptic gospels was it in all four I love this I love this Jesus go to, go to Acts 1-5 let's go to Acts 1-5 really quick I want to show you something wait do you see this it's going to blow your socks off Check this out. Okay, so, so let's take a running start. Okay, at the beginning of the book of Acts, God's doing all these amazing things, and it says that, verse 4, Jesus was staying with them, and he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 4, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Peter, before they had written all this down, is quoting Acts 1-5 in Acts eleven sixteen. 16 Scripture interprets Scripture. God, the Holy Spirit, knew what he was going to put together here. And here you've got embedded, after they put all the Bible verses in and all that stuff, here you've got Acts eleven sixteen 16 quoting Acts 1-5. I love it. And then Peter says, if God gave them the same gift he gave us, how could I stand in God's way? And I love what he was doing here. I don't know if you're catching this or not, but he was rebuking them. Very gently, very firmly. He is rebuking those who were opposing him. He's telling them the truth and he's saying, you're standing in God's way. You're wrong. You're sinning. You're disobedient. And I love the way he did it. He didn't get a sledgehammer out. He basically said, look, I'm going to tell you the story, but how could I stand in God's way? So instead of getting upset, instead of defending himself, instead of saying things he needed to you know, apologize for later, instead of getting into some heated argument, he basically simply retells the amazing events that God orchestrated in the salvation of the Gentiles. Uh, He just masterfully corrects them and indicates they need to repent for not believing that God granted repentance to Gentiles without making them be Jews first. He says, who can argue with what God did? It was totally the work of God in saving Gentiles, evidenced by the coming of the Holy Spirit, just like Pentecost, because this is the Gentile Pentecost. And I love the fact that that God orchestrated every aspect of this situation. He made sure that Peter wasn't alone, but had six other people to vouch for him. There were 14 eyes on this. And then what happened to Cornelius jives with Scripture. Peter reminds them, look what Jesus said. Jesus, the greatest prophet ever, Said it? He sent these miraculous occurrences to signal the arrival of the Holy Spirit, giving credence to the gospel testimony? This is what happened in the book of Acts. Now, if you become a believer today, you're going to have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit immediately. You'll be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now, what we see happen next is a really amazing. Conclusion to this scene I don't know if you like sad endings to movies or when you like it when it's a really great ending like maybe some of you like to go out of a movie crying or afraid personally I kind of like it when they, they resolve things right it's like God's just like whistling to you and saying hey listen up Listen up, this is important. Jesus in the Gospels always said, "Behold," but sometimes God just uses some other way to get your attention. Because verse eighteen, look at the look at the look at look what happens. Look what happens. This is an awesome ending to this scenario. Verse eighteen, when faced with the truth, they stop opposing God and they start praising God. When they hear this, they fall silent. They stop opposing. They're humbled by the truth. They're convicted by the Holy Spirit. They're convinced of the truth. And they glorify God. They say, To the Gentiles also, God granted repentance that leads to life. Don't run past that. Don't run past that. Those were probably the most shocking words Jews ever uttered. They're admitting that you don't have to become a Jew first to become a Christian. You know what happens when God is obeyed? The church rejoices. That's what the church did. The church rejoiced together in the repentance that God grants. And they come to the conclusion because God brought them to it. God's kindness leads us to repentance. So one of the most shocking admissions in Jewish history, but an event that the Old Testament had prophesied. God is breaking down walls. Paul talks about it in Galatians 2 walls between Jew and Gentile were, were, were crumbling long held barriers of prejudice and hatred were just falling to the ground because as we see here and as we need to we need to embrace this God accepts all who come to him by faith in Christ and he wants us to accept them too so that we wouldn't hinder the gospel so how does this relate what does, this, what does this have to do with us today? Well, some of you might be saying, do I have the repentance that leads to life? You know, I, I've said, I, I said a prayer or I, 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 I proclaim to be a believer, but I'm not sure if I have actually repented. I don't know if I have the repentance that leads to life which is basically if I fully acknowledge the lordship of Christ and I've come to the place or where, where I really, really know I'm saved. Here's a couple ways that you can know if you have the repentance that leads to life. First, are you repenting? Okay? Are you repenting? If you're not repenting, you might not have the life. You're repenting, and you'll be repenting of any negative opposition that you've engaged in. You'll be repenting of sins that you've committed. Secondly, you'll be recounting what God has done. You won't just be telling stories about yourself, but you'll be telling the story you know about how Jesus changed your life. And third, you'll realign yourself. When you know you've gone off track, you'll realign yourself with God's work. We've talked a lot recently about your Super 8, your Closest neighbors, friends, relatives, coworkers, classmates, and the like. You know, make it 22 if you want. I had someone tell me just yesterday, hey, I invited 22 people to Easter. I hope they all come. Me too. But we talk about that. We talk about missions. We talk about church planning. We talk about local outreach. But you can't do that if you don't know Jesus and you're not repenting as a way of life. You'll be repenting, you're recounting what God has done, you're realigning yourself with God's work, and then you will rejoice with God's people. You will rejoice when people come to faith in Christ. You won't say, "Mm, don't know if that's real, or "Mm, I know what they were like before. You notice that it was a group that was opposing and accusing Peter, it wasn't just one person. But when we're walking in the truth, we rejoice together when people come to faith in Christ. We don't engage in backbiting and fault-finding and judging. We basically say, thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Thank you, Jesus, for words of life. I mean, every one of us knows life is hard. And there is pain, there is fear, there is sickness, there is relational issues, there are economic problems. We've got all sorts of things going on. We go through this life, and and, and like Jesus said, through many tribulations. That's where you come back to, here's my perspective. Jesus paid it all. I owe him everything. You go to the cross once again. You see the shed blood of Christ. You remember what Jesus did in the gospel, and it puts everything in perspective. Let me give you some takeaways Some things I hope will comfort you because I think we all need comforting. Some things that will challenge you because we need to be challenged. And then I hope that that the gospel truth thrills your soul. We need our souls thrilled by the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. But first, let me bring something up about repentance that leads to life. I hope you're comforted by this. But the repentance that leads to life... Doesn't guarantee that you will never make another mistake or that you'll never sin again. I mean, people, I think there's people that think, well, I repented when I came to faith in Christ, but I don't need to anymore. Think back to verses one through three. There's these non Jews that are com- becoming followers of Christ, and the Jews that are believers are taking issue with Peter, and their issue is really with God, but these were believers. These weren't unbelievers attacking Peter. These were believers that were sinning. I hope that comforts you. You're not the only one who's sinning. A lot of you are like, "Ah, I keep reading in Romans 6 and 7, and I am really messed up. I understand what Paul was saying. I'm doing the things I don't want to do. And I think other people just go, well, I already have fire insurance with Jesus. I can do whatever I want. You have a really, really tender heart. That's the repentance that leads to life. What happened in this scenario was an obvious mistake and sin on the part of the circumcision party that needed to be corrected. And it would be corrected on a larger scale later on in Acts 15. But they were very wrong in what they did. They accused falsely a brother in Christ, the apostle Peter no less, who was the known leader of the church. So they were standing in God's way, they were hindering the gospel, And they kept sinning until they heard the truth. Just realize we all keep sinning and we shouldn't say, well, I'm just going to keep doing that. We need to be repenting. Repenting of our sin. I think some of us like to repent of other people's sins, you know, repent for them. Well, they are wrong. No, we need to deal with your own heart. I think sometimes you've been a believer for a while you start thinking you're good you start thinking you're good and you forget that any good thing you have is a gift from god by grace and i think sometimes we look at other people and we say i'm better than them i'm a better christian than them i'm doing more for the lord than them and you know what god owes me something i need some more blessings because i'm being really good boy or girl we got to repent of our good works We've got to repent of our own righteousness because our, our best efforts are filthy rags. And we wrongly think that the good things we do make God our debtor, that he needs to bless us and love us more because of how good we're being. But we need to turn from everything, repent from everything we think makes us more acceptable to God. and Fall at his mercy and say the shed blood of Jesus Christ is my only hope. boy, do we put up walls for the gospel. Mahatma Gandhi shared a story in his autobiography of his younger days as a student in England. When he had read the Bible, he had read the gospels, and he was deeply touched by the gospels. He actually considered becoming a Christian because he read in the gospels and he thought, wow, I think this is the answer to the caste system that is tearing India apart. And he decided to go to a church one Sunday. And he said, I'm going to go to the church, and then afterwards I'm going to talk to the pastor about salvation and about other Bible doctrines. But as he was going into the church, an usher stops him and says, you need to go worship with your own people somewhere else. And so he left and never came back. And he thought to himself, if Christians have caste differences too, I may as well Remain a Hindu. Now God knows those who will come to him by faith in Christ. But we ought not to put up barriers to the gospel. We are to be billboards for Jesus, not barriers or or hurdles for people coming to know Christ. Some people draw sinful circles that keep people out. Only if you're like this can you come in. You know know what Jesus does? He, He draws loving gospel circles to bring people in. Build bridges. That's what we need to do. Tradition was driving their understanding of the Christian life. What's driving your understanding of the Christian life? Make sure it's Christ and him crucified and risen and coming again. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. I hope that's comfort to know that you are not the only one who keeps sinning. He's not going to cast you out. Repentance is much more than sentimental apologies or feeling bad because you got caught. It's an ongoing confession of your sin and Christ's adequacy. You, you, You trust God to cleanse your heart and give you a humble life. Do you know that the salvation of the lost and the sanctification of the found are both characterized by God-given repentance? Another thing. We see this in Peter's patient recounting of what God did. Speaking the truth in love is a powerful repentance-inducing tool. You don't need to use a sledgehammer on people. Let the Holy Spirit convict their hearts. I really admire what Peter did. I believe it teaches us a way of responding when we're opposed or falsely accused or mistreated by fellow Christians. He lovingly told them the truth and left it in God's hands. Recounting truth trumps retaliation every single time day we want to retaliate don't we people might have a critical spirit towards you might judge you might backbite might cause division they need to read romans 14 james four eleven tells us do not speak evil against each other there's one lawgiver one judge it's the lord jesus christ i love peter's patient explanation there's an undercurrent of holy spirit conviction Let's the holy spirit do the work You'll see this in your home groups this week, but I'll just make a quick mention of it. The story of Genesis, in Genesis of Joseph and his brothers, here's his brothers that basically want to kill him and they leave him for dead, and God just orchestrates this amazing deliverance of all the people through Joseph. And when the, the brothers were found out, they were afraid of what Joseph was going to do to them. He had every right and he had the power to do away with them, but he didn't. In fact, he spoke kindly to them He spoke mercifully to them. He said, I'm going to take care of you. You have no reason to fear me. God did the orchestrating of all these events. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And I'm going to do good to you. Praise God. Grace leads to repentance. And the last thing, and I hope it will thrill your soul, repentance that that leads to life is a gift from God. God gives it. You can't make it happen. You can't drum it up. You can't force someone else to repent. And, and just like verse 18, they were faced head on with the truth. And what they do, they, because God moved in their hearts, they stopped opposing and they started praising. That's what happens. When you repent, you stop opposing God. You turn back to Jesus and you're praising him now for his grace. They had repentance without regret, as 2 Corinthians 7 tells us. God brought them around. God God cleared up their misrepresentation of the gospel. I would go as far as to say this. If you're a Christian, if you're not repenting, you're probably sinning. Only God can bring about a change of heart. Only God can bring about repentance. But it is a sweet, sweet gift of the Holy Spirit. where you walk in newness of life, turn from your sins to God again and again and again. See, repentance is a gift from God that leads to more repentance. Just yesterday, I was walking at night into, back into my house, and I was walking with my youngest, Sophia, and she had gone into the house already. And I just said, hey, come back out here for a minute. I want to show you something. Because I looked around my yard our yard and it's like flowers everywhere and none of us have done anything to those flowers we have not done anything in the front yard with flowers it's just blooming white ones yellow ones red ones pink ones lavender ones just even flowers the the color of my tie what is this what is this salmon Salmon, just like your shirt (laughs) let the record show that man's wearing a salmon shirt looking good looking good but as I'm standing there in the front yard, I'm thinking, praise God that he takes seemingly dead things and makes them lo- live. Like, like weeks ago, there were bushes in my front yard that looked like I should cut them down. And now they're blooming. And they're beautiful. And like, that's like, that's like my life before I knew Christ and that's my life when it gets messed up in sin and and God lovingly grants by his grace the repentance that leads to life and it is an indicator from God of new life and it's an ongoing indicator in your life if you have new life and we praise God for that but we know we can slip guess what that issue that happened in chapter 15 Peter was one of the culprits Galatians 2 tells us that Paul opposed Peter to his face because he was afraid of who? The circumcision party. So don't think you're strong. But let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We can slip up so ongoing repentance is necessary. God brings you there and you confess, you repent, you're restored. And by the way, if, you're, if you happen to be in the spot where you're going to correct somebody because of something they did, Please affirm that you value them first. If you're going to reconcile with someone, you've got to admit your sin and apologize and ask for forgiveness. I love the way this ends. They were praising God. They glorified God. You know, one of the things I like to say is um, that this here is better than what happened the first Palm Sunday. The order of this... What happened in Acts 11 is better than what happened on the first Palm Sunday. You know why? Because in Acts 11, they start by opposing. Then they repent and praise. On Palm Sunday, and you see it in Luke 19, they're praising God as he's coming into the city. And his disciples are praising him. And the Pharisees say, tell your disciples to shut up and he says if they're silent the stones will cry out it reminds me of a parable that jesus told about a son who told his dad yes i will go work for you out in the fields or whatever and then he doesn't do it and then there's the other son who says i won't do it but then he goes and does it you want to be like the second son if you're going to have an order here you want it to be where first you're opposing then you repent then you praise god you don't want it to be where on Palm Sunday, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is coming into Jerusalem, and they're like, praise God, and then on the way out, they're like, crucify him. And guess what happened when Jesus went into Jerusalem? He's, he's in the upper room with his disciples, and, and, and he's explaining what's going to happen in the coming days, and Peter takes issue with him. He says, uh, that's not going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your your mind on God's interest, but on man's interest. Man, isn't that what we do? That's why we gotta go back to the mercy and grace of God. I love how God opens hearts to the truth. I love how the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world generates in us praise. If you're not a believer, now's the day of salvation. Don't put it off another day remember this if you're a believer your your repentance is going to cost you your pride over and over and over again but just remember your repentance cost jesus his life once for all he laid down his life by his own will he took it up for his own glory and our eternal good and here's what jesus did he let himself become completely devalued and treated like trash that we could receive the benefit of eternal life. Have you noticed that we don't have our garbage dump in orange in the orange plaza, like right in the middle? Have you noticed that we take our garbage and we put it outside the city? Take it out of town. It's smelly. We don't want to see it. What did they do to Jesus when he took him to the cross? They took him outside of town where they threw trash away and where they killed criminals. And he allowed himself to be executed as an excluded outsider so that we could be included into his beloved family we could be grafted in isn't that awesome doesn't that thrill your soul this is what jesus has done lord thank you so much it's like a tearjerker to know that jesus died for me completely awesome, undeserved, and merciful. We thank you, Lord God, that you accept all who come to you by faith in Christ. And you want us to reflect that same acceptance to others so that we would not hinder your work. Thank you, Jesus, that you paid it all. All to you we owe. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.